0: Biblical view of sexuality. And in all seriousness, regardless, married, single, regardless of age, uh, I do want everyone to hear this. And I don't think it's inappropriate. I'm going to stay to my notes. I think it's very needed. It really is. Uh, I think everybody who is a believer should have an understanding from God's word Uh, of what he says, because our world is talking about this relentlessly. Our world is presenting certain views relentlessly through media and advertisement and movies and sitcoms and conversations that you overhear at the gym. There is a completely different world view about sexuality. I mean, I, I can't even find the word strong enough to articulate it today where we are. A completely different world view, and yet the scriptures are not silent. So, The mistake that I think the church has made for hundreds of years was to be silent. And so the world has not been silent on this. And and in in many ways, I feel like the church of Jesus Christ is playing catch up on this and having to really go hard to say, wait a minute, we have things to say and God's word has things to say, but we hadn't been saying it. We hadn't been saying it soon enough and we haven't been saying it in the right way. So in this session, this really is important. Even if you say, I'm not sure I'm ever going to counsel somebody on this, this is so huge, all of us, God made us as sexual beings just for an understanding for yourself. But listen to me, in the day that we live, whether you ever have someone fill out paperwork and say, Would you help me on this? You're going to end up having some conversations on, that, on something related to this, and I would like you to be more biblically informed. So right up front, let's answer some of those questions that you might have. Why? Why would we give a session to this subject? Well, number one, because so many Christians are untaught in this area. So many Christians are just untaught in this area. It makes me sad, but as I listen to people and I ask questions, the number one answer I hear as far as what parents passed on to children and what they said to children about sexuality, I'm talking Christian homes, was zero. Nothing. Silence. Oh, my, listen to me. If you have children, young children, someone's going to tell them about this. I'd like to be the one. So I've got a series of books that I really like by Nav Press. I think if you, you go to my website, so remember I said about the website, if you go to the website and click biblical sexuality, some of that will be there that you'll see, I think. If not, email me and say, Brad, what is that series? We used it with all the kids. It's like one little book that you use when they're like two to five. And it's just so basic. Mommy has a baby in her tummy. We don't talk about how it got there. And they don't usually ask. And then each book progresses with more. And what this causes is you end up having conversations with your children. Because at best, my number one answer that I hear is, what did your parents say to you? Nothing. Number two answer, one awkward, terrifying talk. One. We had to talk. That's what my dad did for me. I am grateful, but it, I, I mean, I was just like, oh, this cannot stop too soon, you know? <laughs> I have a twin brother, and I still remember, you know, things that just get blazoned in your mind? I just remember it was a Saturday, sun coming through the window. I think, I don't know what we were doing, but he grabbed us and said, I want to talk to both of you. He sat us on this little love seat, and he had a little tiny book called Now You're 12. And the first thing I remember thinking, as soon as I saw some of this, I was like, but I'm not, I'm not. Stop, I'm 11, And uh, it was just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you two do this, I did not want to know this, I didn't want to know this, and that was it. Now that was better than most people saying nothing, and I love my dad, but I don't think that was all that needed to happen. As I progressed and I, and I began to be more sexual, oh my goodness, I had all kinds of other questions. And I heard boys in the locker room saying different things about girls and stuff and, and our anatomy and how things... Uh, I could have used some more conversations. It would have been helpful. So this, when you get to the last one, I think it's five books. The last one is like for like teens, like 14 or whatever. And it talks about AIDS and it talks about homosexuality. And it talks about things you wouldn't want to talk to a four-year-old about. But, but having a series like that kind of indicates this is something that you would hope is such an important part of life. Let's just set a context of which it's okay to talk about this. We talk about this not in front of everybody all the time, but I'm your dad or I'm your mom. I didn't sit with the girls and do this. So we have five kids. We have three girls, two boys. I did it with the boys. Vicky did it with the girls. Because so many Christians are just untaught. Secondly, because so many Christians have unbiblical thinking and behavior in this area. Oh, my goodness. It's not automatic that you find Christians have a a wholesome, biblical, robust understanding of sexuality. Often it's a little bit of Bible, what they sense from their parents and what they've picked up from the world and what they've concluded. Often it's based on nothing more than experience. Whatever their experience has been, if it's bad, if they're not careful, sex is bad. One of the biggest mistakes that I see being made. Number three, because we need to teach our children and grandchildren. I jumped ahead and kind of already touched on that. we got to teach our children and grandchildren not only what is wrong sexually, but what is right. That's the mistake that we've made. It's like, I grew up in the church, and I'm grateful to have grown up in the church, but I'm telling you what I heard. Marry a Christian, don't have sex before marriage. Marry a Christian, don't have sex. Marry a Christian, don't have sex. Marry a Christian, don't have sex. sex. And so if you're not careful, it kind of has this sound of, it's just this bad thing that you should not do. I don't think it would have been wrong in the student ministry, appropriately, without diagrams or anything, to have said yes and don't because it's so good. And God designed it for marriage and it's in the context of marriage. Too often it just comes across, and that's what the world's heard from us. Don't, 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 and there's plenty of don't. Don't fornicate. Don't commit adultery. Don't be a homosexual or, or, or pursue that. But there's a huge do in the middle of this. God gave us something good. And the church largely has focused on the ways this good thing has been twisted as what they talk about. Or they don't say anything. Now, here at our church, I've tried to do this differently. And uh, I hope in an appropriate way. Uh, I think it's funny that one, one time... So I, I have preached on this, done sermons on Sunday... And usually we'll send out an email to parents and let them know hey, if you don't want your kids to hear this or know this, then don't put them in the service, or we'll have something on an alternative. And I've never gotten into details in an inappropriate way except for Denver, and that just, and I've repented and I, asked, I called and asked for forgiveness. And so this is, we've never gotten pushed back here from what has happened. But I think it's good that the people who've allowed their kids to be there have sensed from their pastor he loves Jesus, he loves biblical counseling. He loves this. I don't know what he's talking about, but I think he loves this. There was a lady that said to me, the last time I, I talked on this, and, and the next week she said, ah, oh, I think you're going to like this. She said, as I was leaving church, my 10-year-old son was in the back seat, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, do you know what Pastor Brad was talking about today? And he said, no, but I think he really loves it. <laughs> I said, okay, I take that as a win. It's a good thing. That they wouldn't then think, oh, to be godly and like God stuff, this is like a big no-no. We don't, we don't do that. And so that we can evaluate other popular teaching in light of scriptures. If you don't know what the Bible says, you won't have the grid and the filter through which to filter everything else that is being said. And sometimes there's a little bit of truth, but a whole bunch of wrong. Sometimes it's all wrong. You, you have to have a place to say, wait a minute. What do I know from scripture about this as I think my way through here? So here's why we're doing it. All right, here's the starting point. Sex, and this might sound like a duh, but it's almost like you've got to repeat it. We've got to come back to the basics like a coach holding up a football in front of his team after they've gotten their butts just kicked and everything was bad. And say, men, this is a football. We have to say, ladies and gentlemen, God created sex and it's good. It's good. The world acts like they own it. The world has hijacked this area. The world is ta- and it's almost like we're taking back surrendered ground. God created this and it's pure. It's good. Again, can it be twisted and, and used in an abusive way? But just because something can be abused doesn't mean it should be abolished. And so we've got some Christians that have just pushed back. I want nothing to do with sex. It's bad. You may have had a bad experience, but don't call sex bad. It's good. God created it. In 1 Timothy 4 4, God's word says, For everything God created is what? Good. And nothing is to be rejected, but all is to be received with prayer, with a prayer of thanks. Everything. Would that include our sexuality? Yes. So sex is good. It's good. It has been twisted by our world. And because we live in a fallen, broken world with sinners, someone may have sinned against you in some way in this way. Or you may have been guilty of sinning in such a way that it, you just feel bad about this. You associate bad with that. Listen, if that's you, then ask God to renew your mind. Say, God, help me to renew my mind according to your word and by your spirit to not spend the rest of my life thinking something's bad that you say is good. It's good. It should not be rejected, but accept it and receive it. In fact, in fact 1 Timothy 4, 4 says, and give thanks. It would not be wrong. This would not be like awkward or unspiritual. Say, I thank God for His word. I thank God for prayer. As a married man or woman, I thank God for sex. And you say, what? That's not appropriate. Sure it is. God, God is not... God. Let me help you. God is not embarrassed by this. So it's not like God says, oh, my goodness, they're doing it. Oh, oh my goodness. And it says to the angels, turn away, turn away, turn away. You'll never be the same. <laughs> no, no. And I'm sure the angels are like, whoa. It says that they, they look into the gospel and they can't relate to the gospel because they have not been redeemed. Only people have. They are not human beings, so I know they don't understand this, but it's good, so God wouldn't be telling them, don't look. This is just my assumption. You can thank God for it. In fact, you should thank God for it. In fact, some of you who struggle here might find if you chose to start thanking God for it, some of your thinking and your feelings might begin to change. God designed both the male and female anatomy. This was not an afterthought. God designed male and female anatomy. God's first command to Adam and Eve was impossible to fulfill without sex. To multiply. To be fruitful and multiply. Now here's the mistake that the church has made in history. The Roman Catholic Church largely was the one that led the way on this. Because God gave us sexuality for procreation, they begin to talk about it as if that's the only reason we have this and if you're it was never intended to just have sex for pleasure and that's a mistake. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach it was just for procreation. Sex and marriage is God's idea and is good. In fact, if you think about it, there there as a parent of five children I'll be honest with you. I wish I had more verses in the Bible about parenting, straight up parenting verses. And because it, it seems like parenting is such a difficult thing. There's so many seasons to it, there's so many challenges. I need so much wisdom. Seems like I'd, but I trust God. He said He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But if you think about it, folks, there's more in our Bible about sex than about parenting. In fact, I kind of wish there was a parenting book, right? Chapter one and two night feedings chapter three and four preschool chapter five and six elementary age chapter six through 31 teenagers (laughs) chapter 32 33 adults basement or not help them or not right but we do have an entire book in the bible right what book is that Song of Solomon and even then it's like the church was so uncomfortable and awkward about this for hundreds of years the Song of Solomon was allegorized into it's nothing more than the believer in his relationship with Jesus Christ listen there is an appropriate there's an appropriate application of saying that same love and that but folks straight up Song of Solomon was written to depict The love and intimacy of physical intimacy between a husband and wife. But the church was so awkward about it. Some of our fathers, you know, some of those with the names Ignatius and whatever. And it's just like, I forget which guy it was. I think it was Irenaeus or somebody preached 86 sermons from Song of Solomon without one reference to sex between husband and wife. To say that he missed the point. Would be a huge understatement. And they would do weird things like say, the left breast and the right, the left breast is the Old Testament, the right breast is the New Testament, and that bag of myrrh is the middle years. It's like, whoo, no, you don't need to do that. It's like, it's about sex. So long before Alex Comfort wrote his best selling, Joy of Sex, God was way ahead of him. In, re- in a very real way, Song of Solomon is not a technique book. It is joy of sex book. It's a joy. You you read it, and I know it it makes sense to me, though, folks, right? This area, the the genre would be poetry because it's beautiful. And so there's different types of literature in the scriptures. And Song of Solomon is poetry, so I'll be honest with you. I've been reading the whole Bible every year for a long time now. And it's still one of those books where sometimes I'm like, who's talking? Is it her friends? Is it her? Is it him? Is it his friends? Is it God? I don't know, but some of this is really exciting. I know that. <laughs> because I think in the, the general gist of it is just to catch the flavor. These two people are excited about this and delighting in each other. And God is pleased with it. God is, but it is poetry. And so sometimes it is tr- hard to track with some of what is being said and what is going on. But God beat Alec's comfort to the punch with the Song of Solomon. It's not like our Bibles are silent on this and we have to wonder whether this is good or bad. In Genesis 2, 22-25, he said, Then God made a woman and brought her to man. This is it, Adam exclaimed. The man and his wife were both naked, but neither was embarrassed Or ashamed. It's good. Notice this is neither was embarrassed or ashamed, because God invented our bodies and sexuality. Not Hugh Hefner with his Playboy magazine. Not Larry Flint with his Hustler magazine. Not the sickos that design porn sites today. God thought of this our world has taken and twisted it in such a hurtful harmful way this is one of the greatest examples to me of how our world when you read places like first corinthians 1 where it says for the world's wisdom is just foolishness you think about with women's rights and everything why is our culture not going nuts over pornography but they don't that, to me that's one of the most abusive use women put women down. these are real women this is someone's daughter that's in that movie. And if you, if you learn anything about this, you find that it is a horrible industry. Most of these young ladies, because you'll hear people push back and say, well, it's their choice. It's just a job. Most of them are on drugs to just survive this. There's a high rate of suicide, alcohol, drug abuse. Because you're created in the image of God, you cannot feel good about you being used like this. It's one of the worst examples of, of abusing and using women And yet our culture is so silent about it. The foolishness of man versus the wisdom of of God. God created sex before there was sin. So make sure you understand this. Sex was not an afterthought or a stopgap measure. Oh my goodness, now that they're sinners, they're going to have desires and lusts. So, alright, I never would have wanted this, but why don't you go ahead and do this thing. Now, before there was sin, God created sex And it's good. Even after sin and the fall of man in Genesis 3, God still calls sex good and honorable. We've got the verse in in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, where God is talking about physical intimacy in the marriage bed between husband and wife. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be on. That's a euphemism. So it's not talking about the actual bed, but what happens in the bed. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So sex outside of marriage, God's going to judge it. Sex between married people that it's not with their spouse but someone else, God's going to judge it. And yet, in the context of that, he's saying, but the marriage bed itself, this that I've given you, is good. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's wonderful. It's not something to be turned away from. As far as resources go, I have found one of the most helpful, beyond the Bible, one of the most helpful resources is Dr. Bob Smith's. It's only like 75 pages. a little paperback, simply titled, Biblical Principles of Sex. And he's a medical physician and a biblical counselor. It is excellent it's very basic but it's excellent but I cannot tell you how many times when I've been counseling a couple and I give them this the young lady more than the man will come back and say oh my goodness that really helped me really helped me now here's what I found folks when you're trying to help a couple if God does give you opportunities to help a couple sex is almost never the presenting problem right And I find that it's not usually the main problem, but it's almost always the first casualty of a bad marriage. Does that make sense? So if you find that this isn't good, don't just jump in with a book about sex and try to... Back up and start over in other places. If communication isn't good, if there's bitterness, if the roles aren't understood, if there's deep hurt and unforgiveness, all that needs to be addressed. You can give somebody the Joy of Sex book, and you can give them Bob Smith's book, and you can give them all kinds of things, and this isn't going to get better. Does that make sense? Because sex was meant to be the icing on the cake. If a relationship is weak, and there's garbage in it, in a sense, the picture that I like to give people is, it's like... As you don't resolve what isn't right in your marriage, it's like taking the kitchen garbage can, walking down the hallway back to the bedroom, and just dumping that garbage on the bed. And then thinking you're going to have a good time there. It's not going to go well. So sex is almost never the main problem, but very often the first casualty. You'll find they're not having sex. Why? Because when things aren't right... Sex is one of the most vulnerable, I open myself up to you, I need to trust you moments. And so if the relationship isn't good, this is not likely to go well. Number two, so it's good and it's of God. we got to redeem it. we got to reclaim surrendered ground. Number two, marriage is intended to depict the sexual relationship as an expression of intense companionship and intimacy. It was intended to depict the sexual relationship, marriage, as an expression of intense companionship. See, here's here's the deal. Just like in other things in our world, the sexual relationship is one of the most wonderful things that God gave us in this created world. But we're not going to have sex in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth, which is another one of my arguments for. So do it now while you can if you're married. That's why I can't figure out people that are not doing this is like, but for people who, on the other hand, are like, oh, bummer, you're kidding me. Listen, just like I said about Romans 8, no matter how good something is in this world, all it was intended to be was an hors d'oeuvre or an appetizer for, oh my goodness, imagine what new heaven and new earth would be like. Imagine not sex with our Savior, but intimacy. See, this was intended to give you an experience of intimacy, of really... Remember, it's the only relationship that's called oneness, husband wife. Well, we're going to be intimate with our Savior in an appropriate way. And the delights of that, the sense of being accepted, the sense of being relaxed and at ease in the presence of someone, whatever degree you've tasted moments of that in your marriage, ratcheted up infinitesimally. So we're not going to need sexual relationship we're not gonna miss sexual relationship in the new heaven and new earth this whole thing was designed to be a foretaste and to depict something better that is coming but i will say for husbands and wives to just treat this as optional all right we're working on communication and we're we're trying to set goals together we're trying to stay on the same page with parenting and maybe we'll have sex maybe we won't i think that's unbiblical i think that's wrong Because it's not just a physical thing either. God designed sex. And this is why he says don't, don't be doing this as a single person. God designed sex in a very real way. It's like super glue that bonds you together. So don't make this mistake. I've admitted that it was meant meant to be the icing on the cake. And it's difficult to really enjoy this and have it be all it's supposed to be. If the rest of the relationship isn't what it should be. But don't make this mistake. And I'm going to pick here a little bit. Sometimes, not always, women are more guilty of doing this than the men. Well, our marriage isn't that great. And so until it is, we're not having sex because I don't want to just pretend. Don't do that. There, there is also a degree, a degree to which having sex is something that draws you together. It is not just a physical thing. It is so... Balance this out. Yes, you'd like to recognize there's areas of our marriage that need improvement, but don't play the game of here's five things that need to happen. And I mean, until that doesn't happen, there's going to be no sex. You don't see that in Scripture. Marriage is meant to typify the believer's relationship with Christ. The oneness and the enjoyment and the delight of truly being accepted and knowing someone on a level that's just different than anything else. You see this clearly in Ephesians 5. Very often people stop too soon in Ephesians 5 and never go on to these verses. But I try to always go on to them whenever I do a wedding. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And then Paul says, "This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church." You don't see that? You don't see that being mentioned that way about any other relationship in the world. Rob Bell, who has said many things that are so wrong, gets it right on this when he says, this marriage between man and woman is about something much bigger than the relationship itself. It points to beyond them to somebody else, to God. I hope you're catching this from last night and now in this session. Your marriage was designed by God to be, a more, to be about more than just you and your marriage. There's something bigger at stake. There's something bigger that God intended to do through your marriage. The point of marriage isn't marriage. It's a picture, a display, a window that you, you look through to something else. A marriage has a mission. Too often the problem is that each person in that marriage has a mission. And it has nothing to do with God's mission. Oh, that's so true. True. Our world isn't one. It's broken, shattered, fractured with pieces lying over the floor. A marriage is designed to counter all of this. Not to add to the brokenness of the world, but to add to the oneness of the world. This man and this woman who have given themselves to each other are supposed to give the world a glimpse of hope, a display of what God is like, a bit of oneness on earth. Now, I know that's, that's shooting high, but I don't disagree at all, folks. Think about it. Does it not comfort you? Why does it, when you meet a couple, that you can tell they really love each other? I don't find myself thinking, I'm so happy for them. There's something about that that settles me too. In a world where so much is so wrong... But, and here's the other sad part. And I'm not, I'm not talking about out in the big bad world. I'm talking about I'm spending most of my time around Christians. And yet it is still the exception rather than the norm. When I get around a couple and I think, oh my goodness, I can tell they delight in each other. And I'm not talking about they just got married and they haven't hurt each other yet. It's usually someone who has persevered. And you just think, wow. It's not going to be long, folks. And there won't be, wow, I've been married 46 years, 67 years, 38 years. We have, we have people getting divorced just like, Bing, bang, boom. I mean, as soon as it's not all that I had hoped it to be, as soon as I hit the first bump in the road, and I wish I could say to you, that's only happening outside the church. It's not. But because we have people who their whole worldview is so much about them. And they only see marriage as a means to an end. He was going to help me get what I want. She was going to help me get what I want. And real fast they find out this isn't working. I'm done. And even that mindset, I also hate it. I hate it when talk about, people talk about find that job that you just love. And I also hate it when I hear people, you, you find your soul. Find your soulmate. Because the mistake that people make is they say, well, that obviously was not my soulmate. Whew. That was just a bunch of hard work, and we just disagreed on all kinds of things. It was like the grinding of two gears. This cannot be right. That doesn't seem soulmate-ish to me. So I'm on a quest for And what they really mean, synonymous with it's easy. It's just cha-ching. And sadly, what they actually mean is soulmate meets my needs. I don't have to put out much. I don't have to put forth effort on Stop looking for your soulmate. Find a believer. Find a growing believer. But then once you stand there and say, I do, buckle up. Because God didn't just intend to delight you. He intended to grow you through this. And so marriage, more than almost anything else that I've... I've been through Bible college. I've been through seminary. I love to read books. I've been through all kinds of conferences. Nothing... Nothing has laid me on the workshop table of God and His Holy Spirit and been like a Black and Decker sander in my life than marriage. Oh my goodness. It's exposed things I didn't want to see. exposed, And I'm not talking about her. Me. Me. And so it's hard. We don't like seeing ourselves in ways that we hadn't seen ourselves. We largely don't like working hard. And we, don't, we want things to just come easily. This is not one of those things, but it's worth it. God intended marriage to put on display a bit of oneness to the world. Oneness. And it is hard work, but it's worth it by God's grace and his gospel and his mercy. The marriage bond and the believer's union with Christ interact in ways that influence or enrich our understanding of both. Let me say it to you this way. You cannot actually have a satisfying marriage and sexual relationship Unless you have a very satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. Because then and only then will you extend the grace necessary to your spouse for what is not all you wish it was. And even that ability to be vulnerable and open yourself up. If you're not finding, I'm already so accepted by my beloved. Think about that verse in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. And he has made us, it's one of my favorite places, accepted In the beloved. If I don't feel accepted anywhere else. And my number one thing I need. Is to feel accepted with you. I'm bringing too much need to this moment. I need to really be enjoying and delight. That's why as I do marriage counseling. I don't just work on the relationship. I continue to try to strengthen their walk with the Lord. And their intimacy with Jesus Christ. And sometimes I can tell they're just like. This is like a bait and switch. Why do you have us working on this? I didn't say I need help with my quiet time. I want you to help us with our marriage. These two things are so related. And you see it in scripture. These two things are just very, very related. Sexual expression is to be at the end of the intimacy chain. The product or manifestation of real marital oneness. So again, as I said, if you just zero in on sexuality. I had a guy shoot me an email, and I mean, you could. I can usually tell when I'm dealing with this person, and this was this person, just wants me to tell his wife certain things, and wants me to quote those Bible verses that says she's supposed to have sex with him, and so I always write back and say, uh, you know what, before we even go there, let me ask some questions about you related to the marriage. See, that's almost like an end run. I'm not because I happen what he didn't know, I happen to know that my wife's been talking to his wife, and she's been talking to me. He's like I know more than you think I know. And so people all of a sudden just want to say, "Hey, isn't it true, blah blah blah, that she should?" And in their Bible verse, and they want to be able to quote me, Pastor Brad. Uh, even if I didn't know what I knew from Vicky from her, I still have learned. Oh, move slowly. Ask some questions here. Whenever someone is just jumping to that and wants a couple Bible verses to throw as trump cards on their spouse. Something's not right. This is to be the end of intimacy and a marriage that you're working on. Don't hear me saying perfect, but you're working on this marriage. You're not just working on the bedroom. Another great resource for guys guys, is C.J. Mahaney's Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. And again, it's a little book, guys. Almost always good guy books are little. Excellent, Excellent. He has a phrase in there, before you touch your body, touch your heart. Before you touch your body, touch your heart. Very helpful. And ladies, in the very back of the book, there's a final chapter by CJ. 's wife, Carolyn, speaking to women who, who perhaps struggle to really give themselves in this area and, and freely enjoy this. She's got some ve- a very helpful chapter at the end of the book. Number three: sex without marital intimacy can take many forms. So sex without marital intimacy can take many forms. The Bible speaks about lust. Just with your mind and your eyes going other places, whether married or unmarried. The Bible doesn't use the word masturbation, but that's a deal in our culture. And I do get asked it, so I'm going to awkwardly address this for a moment. Do I think masturbation is wrong? I do. Now, we don't have it in the Bible as a sin, but, but I think it's rooted in selfishness. God gave us sexuality and everything about it, you can see how it was intended to be enjoyed with someone else. To take this on its own in isolation just for pleasure, I don't think is a good way to use this. So I've, I've read articles from well-meaning Christians saying they think masturbation is God's gift to singles. I don't think so. Now, I'm not going to be like the Catholic Church hundreds of years ago that's going to say, and if you masturbate, you're going to go blind. Now, the reason that doesn't work is people kept masturbating and they weren't blind. They're like, okay, well, I don't know when that's going to happen, but it hadn't happened yet, so I'm not stopping. So you can't lie to people. That doesn't work well. The Catholic Church often has tried to use guilt and shame as a way to get things done. Not very helpful. But I'll, I'll tell you, I went to my boys, and I addressed this. I wish my dad had talked to me about it. I know it's awkward, but I mean, like when they were like 11 or so, and I said, Hey, have you found that if you touch yourself in a certain way, this, and, and they're just looking at me like, Oh, please stop. But I knew I had discovered this, and I didn't know what to do about this. And I said, But so I, I took this approach. I said, The reason that is that way is God's such a good God, and He has made us so that this is so pleasurable. He didn't have to make I mean, think about it procreation could have been like, What was that show with Mork and Mindy, Mindy, you know, way back? You just touch fingers at the end. Meh, baby. He made it pleasurable. So there's a pleasure to it. And I said, that's just how good he is. But he intended for this pleasure to be enjoyed between husband and wife. And so I said to my boys, if you get in the habit of just doing this on your own because you had a bad day or because you feel self-pity or whatever, as a refuge, you will find it difficult to enjoy this in a relationship. Because think about it, if you can just have it your way and do it just the way you like and you're pleasing yourself, it's actually harder to be engaged in physical intimacy with, with someone else. This doesn't help you. I was shocked. I have a twin brother, one of the most shocking things he ever said to me. He got married like six months or a year before I did and he came to visit me at, at, on campus. I was, I was a student in undergrad. We went for a long brotherly walk. We're just talking about all kinds of things. I didn't say, hey, Talk to me about masturbation. And out of the blue, he just shocked me. He said, I mean, just random. He turns to me and says, and by the way, when you get married, masturbation will still be a temptation. I was just like, oh, you're kidding me. Oh, my goodness. That had been my great hope. Because most most people, I can't speak for, for the young ladies, but us as guys, there is this wrestling of, oh, I'm not sure this is right. I feel bad about this. But then I... And I thought, oh, when I get married, this will be over. No, and he was right. Because it's easier, it's a shortcut to just self-pleasure. I think it's not a good idea. So again, because it's rooted in selfishness, can become a false refuge, can become dominating in your life, an idol. So I encourage people, no, no. Oh, and and here's, here's some good news. On my website, I actually have an article about masturbation. That's right. Because somebody from my former church said, they, they, they were in town on vacation. They said, hey, let's go get Grater's ice cream. And then I'm sitting there and they said, do you know if you go Google Brad Bigney, one of the first things that come up is an article about masturbation? I was like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. Because that's the first thing I ever wrote. So Pure Life Ministries asked me to write an article for dads talking to their sons about masturbation. Uh, I, I think some other things come up now, I hope. I've done, <laughs> done some things since then. Josh Harris has a great book that's titled, Sex is Not the Problem, Lust Is. And in that book, he has a great chapter on masturbation. Homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and others. I know we're living in a day where this is all being called into question. And it breaks my heart that we even got people that are calling themselves Christians with doctor in front of their name, that are saying we've done massive word studies now in the Hebrew and the Greek, and it really doesn't mean... Folks, this is so sad. I know it's hard to feel like the odd man out, still just standing in a culture, and you feel like you're one of the last people still saying, no, this is still a sin, but it is not loving. It is not loving to say otherwise. Now, don't hear me saying it's loving to stand with placards on street corners yelling, Faggots go to hell. That also is dishonoring to God. But I want to continue to quietly, calmly, and lovingly hold the biblical ground and say, my heart goes out to you. I can't imagine what it would be like to wake up every day with desires that are for the same sex. But we live in a fallen, broken world. See, see, I don't buy into the argument. Like, but but they, they say they've always felt this way. There are people that were born angry also. It's like this little boy's been angry from the very beginning. The same argument could be given for adultery, right? I've I've worked with guys or women who've committed adultery six, seven, eight times. What if they look at me and say, Brad, I have never felt inclined to be sexually faithful to one woman. I I have natural desires for all kinds of other ladies, so this must be right. You see the argument? If we begin to say, what have I always felt? Listen, now this may shock you ladies. Apart from God's word telling us one man with one woman for life and sexuality is to be reserved only for the marriage bed. I'm telling you what, unless God had said that, I don't think men would ever have concluded that. We would have thought, she's attractive to me. I'm having arousing thoughts about her. I'm... I'm, if we're going to conclude, what do I feel, what's my heart say, go for it, that must be right. We'll have the wild, wild west and just chaos. It's God's word that comes crashing in in the midst of all our feelings and says, no, let me, let me help you here. Get married. Well, even on that, would we've ever decided, I, I shouldn't just live with a girl. I should be committed and decide I'm going to marry this one for life. All these things are not things we would have concluded. God had to tell us. And so to begin to let go of some of what he's told us and say, but that's not what I felt, is not helpful. It's not loving. And it's not what we can do. So homosexuality. Now, here's the mistake I think the church has made. Some years ago, I felt like all I heard from the church when it did address this was, you're a pervert. You have not always felt that way. You're choosing to be perverted. How can you do that? You're... You're making yourself doing, do something so quick. Twi- and the church has spoken as if they're the worst sinners in the world. That's been a huge mistake. Huge. So I hope you heard how I am more than willing to look at someone and say, just like I would with someone who's struggling in any other sin. Someone who says, my metabolism is not a fast metabolism. Oh my goodness, when I eat, I get big. I know gluttony is a sin, but this is a lifelong battle. We have, brothers and sisters who have a lifelong battle of same-sex desires and they've had nobody to tell it to and they have not had the encouragement they should get and it's time the church encouraged them and held on to them and did not treat them as the worst sinners. But the answer isn't to say, oh, it's not a sin anymore. Enough said because it's not a whole workshop on homosexuality, but that's such a big deal, I thought I should take a moment there. Adultery, same way. This is, this is taking something good that God gave us using it in a way that he says is sinful. Fornication, singles having sex before marriage, and I'm telling you what, it's rampant in the church. No, no. I don't care what the culture's doing. No, I don't care that you say, but we love each other, we're committed. No, we're gonna get married. No, let me say it again. No, we are supposed to remain pure until marriage. A great book for guys is Doug Wilson's Fidelity. If you've never read anything by Doug Wilson, ha! Huh, he is wonderful. He's insightful, he's witty, he's sarcastic. Now, if you don't like sarcasm, don't get it. I, I like sarcasm. Very witty, very hard-hitting, like right between the eyes, and a great writer. It is a great guy book on sexuality. He's got a chapter on masturbation, chapter on lust, chapter on uh, adultery, as in don't do any of those things. God encourages pleasure, the pleasure of sex in marriage. We've got to redeem this. We've got to reclaim this, that it never was intended just to function as providing children. The go-to passages, the go-to passages in, in our Bible regarding sexuality, if I was just to walk through them, I'd say, Song of Solomon just shows us, oh, this is just robust and glorious and good. You go to Proverbs 5. There's a whole chunk in Proverbs 5 there where it says, be satisfied in the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. So Proverbs 5, Song of Solomon, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 where he talks about husband and wife. These are some of the best places where we get help on our sexuality. For instance, in Proverbs 5, rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Now, I give that as an example to show that sexuality was never intended just to produce children. There's pleasure there. And there's some of the strongest Hebrew words being used in those verses. Literally, to, to be exhilarated was a, was a word in Hebrew that could be translated drunk. I mean, just, just caught up in her love, and her, in her, the physical pleasure with your wife. Now, here's what I would say, ladies. Again, I'm, I'm pecking a little bit, but I've been a pastor 30 years Every now and then, someone says to me, help me, my husband won't have sex to me. I think I've heard that twice in 30 years. Not, now, one of it was really awkward. I have a friend in New York City in Queens. He's quite a character. Before we had a church building, the, phone, the church phone was downstairs in my basement in a bedroom. So because you know we were a small church, if it rang, I'm going to pick it up. might be a guest asking about service time. So I pick it up on a Friday night. We're in the middle of a board game with the kids. It's like... It's like 9.45. He's like, Brad, this is Ed. I got you on speakerphone. I got Phil and Philomena here. Phil won't have sex with Philomena. Talk to him. I'm like, oh, Ed. I don't even know Phil or Philomena. I can't see their faces. I'm in the middle of Candyland. This is awkward. (laughs) After I finished that awkward conversation, I called him back and said, the next day, don't ever do that again, Ed. Don't do that. So every now and then, but more often than not, it's ladies that struggle with this. And so I, I, want, I want to encourage you, ladies. This, this was meant to be a place that is not just, okay, if we have to, let's do that. Let me know when you're done. When you, when you see th- these verses, it's like really getting into this. Exhilarated, ravished, satisfied, Those are the words that jump out that give us some indication that this area was meant to be. And again, don't hear me saying it's going to be that way automatic. Here's the other mistake I think Christians make. We hope our sexual relationship will get wonderful without talking about it. Did your finances get out of the big mess they were without talking about it? Sitting down and did you get on the same page with, oh man, we've had to have conversations about parenting to keep us moving in the same. You will not just have a wonderful sexual relationship and never talk about it. I know it's more awkward. I admit it's more awkward even for me to talk through some of these things with Vicky than the finances and the parenting. But it's been so worth it to have conversations, to learn each other. And find, because the goal is supposed to be to please each other. And so to please each other, you need to know what the other one truly desires. That is more pleasurable than something else. You want to learn each other on this, but you're going to have to talk. C.S. Lewis says this about regarding pleasure in sex. He says, I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves. But they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a body and that some kind of body is going to be given to us. Even in heaven, and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy, Christianity has glorified marriage more than any other religion. And nearly all the greatest love poetry in the world has been produced by Christians. If anyone says that sex in itself is bad, Christianity contradicts him at once. So many of the words in Proverbs there indicate that this is to be a place where you're satisfied in your marriage. Again... Please know that as I tell you, work on this, that there'll be real satisfaction. Also, just keep the word from Romans 8, hovering over it in a general way, futility. It'll never be perfect. And it'll never be off the chart every time. Just like every meal, right? Do you push away from the table with every meal with your your spouse and say, Oh my goodness, that was amazing. I mean, there's sometimes like, "Alrighty, that was food. And I know that will sustain me. Thank you very much. I mean there's times it's like. Oh my goodness. That tasted so good. And what was in that. And and there's other times. That it still was good to eat. So same way with the sexual relationship. It it varies. So there'll be those times. You're like. Oh. And I always want it to be. Oh. So the next time it's like. Wow. Wow. Welcome to a fallen broken Romans 8 world. Right. So just say. All right, if we could let up, I mean, pursue and say, let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. Let's make it better. But always just recognize, again, if you're living for sex and this is my greatest fulfillment, this is how I cope with life, this is where I'm most satisfied, this is what gives me identity and meaning, you're bringing too much to the bedroom. You're satisfied in Christ. You're delighting in Christ. Your identity is not tied up in anything in this world. And then, oh, by the way, I'm married, and we want to enjoy this. It's God's good gift, and we hope that we would make progress. But progress looks like this on any given thing. And I will be content at every little step along the way. That would really help. Exhilarated, satisfied. Sex and marriage is to be a major factor in preventing immorality again I know that if you're single then you don't have this measure of prevention but listen God's grace is God's grace so he's not going to call you to do something or live in a way that is impossible don't hear me saying it's not hard but it's not impossible don't act like this can't be done I know this may shock some of you and date me as a dinosaur but I got married as a virgin Vicky got married as a virgin. Again, I don't, I don't say that to shame those of you that that's not a possibility anymore. But I just feel the need to say it because we live in a day where everyone acts like nobody's a virgin when they get married. Nobody does that. My, my daughter Kelly is 23 now and she was having a, a visit with her OBGYN and one of those conversations where they wanted to do something that is unnecessary if you're sexually pure. And she said, I haven't had sex yet. And it was a female doctor and she's like, right. I mean, that's where we are in a culture now. The, the, the assumption is everybody's having sex. Listen, more than should be having sex are having sex. But God has called you as a single to purity. And it was hard. I wanted to have sex with... Don't hear me saying, I never wanted to have sex with Vicky until the wedding day. Not true. This was really, really hard. But it was also really, really worth it. So if you're here and you are a virgin and you are sexually pure, and I hope there's somebody in this room that still is, it's worth it. If you're not, don't hear me saying, your, your life is toast. You'll never enjoy a sexual relationship. Not true either. God's grace is God's grace and he will help you. But I will say, those that are leading you to believe you're missing out if you're not sexually active now, it's a lie. I can't tell you how many couples that I've worked with the baggage that they bring with them from being sexually active prior to the marriage is horrible. And, and you say, you mean because they had sex with other people? No. Most of the time, it is baggage. They had sex with each other before they were married. And I, I spend hours trying to convince this woman now that it's okay. It's not just okay. It's right It's like she was having sex with him before, but here's what was going on, because these were believers. She felt guilty, so she was rigid, and she felt horrible every time they did this, and she knew it was wrong, and what's happened now? That's what she associates with it, and that's what he gets to deal with now in his marriage. She feels bad about it and thinks it's wrong, and she's struggling to renew her mind. Being sexually active before the marriage did not help that marriage. That's a lie. When people give the, someone gave me this illustration like, well, I would, all, of course I would try on a pair of shoes before I bought them. Shut up. You don't, to find out if, you know, we need to know if we're sexually compatible. Let me, let me assure you, it will work. You, it will work. And it will work a lot better if you don't have baggage going into it. Trust God on this one. There'll be areas that you'll need to grow, but you won't just like, I don't know. I don't know. You'll know. But if they have not self-control, restraint of their passions, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, they should marry rather than be aflame with passion and tortured continually with undignified desire. God intended for marriage. But here's what breaks my heart. In a world that is so sinful and broken and sex-saturated in an unhelpful, twisted way, He intended for the sexual relationship, the marriage bed to be a wonderful place of satisfaction that when you head back out into the world, not that you're not tempted, but you are not tempted in the ways that you are when you are sexually starved. And yet I find that Christian couples are ignoring this and they're not sexually active. That is that is not helpful. When you look at 1 Corinthians 7... It says the husband and wife are to satisfy each other that there is no desire for anyone else. That's what you pick up on in verse 20. Now, don't hear me saying, be careful that if you'll be sexually active, your spouse will never commit adultery. It's not what I'm saying. Sadly, there are people that commit adultery and it's not because their spouse was not sexually active with them. Do hear me saying, can it reduce the temptation? Absolutely. Think about it as far as food. When you're you're dieting, And there's something you're not eating. Now, there's some diets I've been told. It's not something I do all the time. There's some diets I've been told that you don't go around feeling just, I'm going to tear the head off something and eat it right now. But in general, go with me. That's usually what it's like, right? It's just like, oh, my goodness, I'm eating no sugar, no breads, and I think I'm going to hurt somebody. I want that so bad. That is what it's like. More for now. Again, I don't mean to stereotype, but I've, I've listened for thirty years now as a pastor, and I've been li- living with a woman for thirty years who tells me, "Brad, yes, you naked does nothing for me." Just news alert. Okay, that's men and women are different, right? And she largely doesn't live with. I can't wait for that next time with him. So I finally have learned to not get my little feelings hurt over that. It can be confusing as guys. We just think. How much do you think about this? Oh, like every 5 seconds since I hit puberty. That that's how often I've thought about it. I know that's that's shocking to you ladies. Like I've thought about having a home and having some children, having little candles and rugs. I've thought about having sex since I was able to. That's how much I that's very different. And so you just need to recognize just like how often do you have the desire to talk to your husband? Oh, hello. What if he said, I just don't have that much desire. I mean, I'm talking, didn't we talk? So in jest, every now and then, we have a good relationship, including sexuality. But in jest, every now and then, I'll say, hey, baby. She's like, didn't we just do that last night? And I'm like, didn't we just talk yesterday? Yeah, I mean, like, we're gonna go all day today and not speak. Like, why would we have a good conversation? She starts to engage me, like, whoa, girl. We had a really good conversation yesterday. We're gonna have to wait, like, three days at least. Ha, gotcha, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this doesn't take longer than conversations usually, right? I mean, every seriously, most of our conversations are much longer than this that I want, right? So it's like, I'm just saying. It's like sometimes you're like, well, I'm tired. I was tired too when you started talking, but I hung in there. This is what you like. This is what I like. Let's serve each other here. So I'm just saying. Gary Thomas in in Sacred Marriage has some good comments here as well. I'll let you read on your own. Each husband and wife has a God given duty to satisfy his or her mate. I don't think believers understand this as well as they should. Don't hear me saying you're a sex slave and just sex on demand. Whenever your spouse wants it, you have to stop and do this. But there's a balance somewhere there. You know, as, as you're supposed to love each other and prefer each other, Philippians 2. So there's, there's an appropriate place to think, I know she's exhausted. She just drove from Georgia with the kids in the van. It took her 16 hours. As she arrives home tonight, probably not a good time. When she homeschooled, I tried to be sensitive, you know. but so But in general, each of you should be leaning towards the other and thinking, it wouldn't be my first preference, but... Now let me say something that might be awkward, but... As we but it's not gonna be a scandal like in Denver. I know what I said in Denver and I'm not gonna say it again. And I'm not gonna tell you what I said. <laughs> and you can't find it anywhere on the World Wide Web, so there. But when we were going back and forth, you know, earlier in our marriage, it's like, oh, we got kids, she's homeschooling, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It would it would just be so we were just hit and miss, and I'm like, hey, and she's like, Really? Tonight? I'm like, yeah, really? Like what? So I said, you know what? Let's just have a conversation. There's seven days in the week. Let's have sex days. And then you'll know and I'll know. And we won't have this confusion. And so she was agreeable. It didn't offend me. And, and, and she said, I need time to, you know, I, I know it. And now she'd still forget sometimes. Because I kid you not, I would wake up. I won't tell you what the three days were. Three out of seven. So like four days we're not doing this. Right? Oh, grace, massive grace. Three out of four lost days. Three, three and when I would wake up on those days, I kid you not, like a little kid, I'm like, oh, it's a sex day. It is a sex day. I would think about it as I worked. I would think about it as I worked on the sermon. I would just think, so there was going to be no hurt feelings that night. Now, she would have forgotten sometimes i would be throwing things up, I'm like, wow. And she's like, ah. Oh. And then she'd go, oh, yeah. That's right. And so we just agreed. Now that we don't have little kids, we're not doing the three-day thing. 'Cause now we can now we got frenzied Fridays when uh everybody's at school and don't come knocking on our door. But I got two people that moved back, and so it's back to that whole thing of like that that was also one of my harsh moments. Like, you gotta get out of here for my sex life. And I couldn't say <laughs> that, but I'm just like, no time's a good time now. She's in the hall right across from our bedroom, he's downstairs, we and because once they're older, you never know when they're coming or going. It's like they could arrive at any moment. Just Unannounced because they have cars and stuff. It was like, oh man. Anyway, we, we are supposed to work on this from 1 Corinthians 7 to please each. And so it may take, oddly enough, even scheduling it and saying, here's when we're going to do this. Sometimes you have to say, when are we going to work on the budget together? When are we going to have this conversation? I don't think it's wrong to say, this is this important. When are we going to have sex? The key phrase is translated, fulfill his duty. So this is not just a drudgery or an obligation that, that it's like, well, they're putting this on me. God calls you to be sexually active with your spouse. And there'll be times that you may say, I don't have that desire, but I will prefer them and I will serve them. Just like you might help with the kitchen and you weren't feeling it or have a conversation and mute or t- turn off the TV and really give your attention even though you weren't feeling it or, or wanting that at that moment. Serve each other. God's command assumes God's enablement. Therefore, you can satisfy your spouse's sexual desire. Let me actually say something that might surprise you, ladies. If, if, if this is an area where there's just regular kind of he wants more than you want, and you just think, oh, if I gave in and I was responsive as often as he wanted, I'd never have my clothes on. I, I would never get anything done. This was what we would do day and night. Not. I'm not kidding you. There actually is a limit. You may think, Mother, find out what it is. I mean, when we, when we are living together like this, there are times that I literally have looked at her and said, I'm, I know you might think this is just odd. I, oh, I'm good. But she kindly would look at me because she stays up later and talks to these older kids that we have. i got to go to bed at nine. I'm 53 now. So if we're going to have sex, she's got to go say that she's saying goodnight to me. I think everyone knows. Like, this is so awkward. Like, <laughs> The little code word is, I'm like, come tuck me in. (laughs) (laughs) And I would like to just say to everybody, don't get a towel. Towels are in our room. I don't know why. It's like, oh, my goodness, someone's knocking and they want a towel. Like, this is so awkward. (laughs) Don't come for anything. She's tucking me in. (laughs) But there's times I'll just start walking back there. She's like, you need tucked in? Nope, I'm good to go. There are times that I, I say, no, actually turn it down. She doesn't fight me like, yeah, come on, let me. She says, fine. She keeps reading her book. But we talk. We talk about this. Common areas of failure in this area almost always end up being just the common sins about any area. Just selfishness, unresolved guilt, unresolved problems, ignorance or misinformation about your mate's anatomy. Let me tell you, if you've never read a good medical book like Dr. Bob Smith's or Ed Wheat has one, Uh, Intended for pleasure. It would be helpful to understand each other's bodies that men and women do work differently if you really want to please each other. Ed Wheat was a biblical counselor and a physician. That's the book we use with young couples when we do premarital counseling and we get them to buy this book. It's a great book because it has a chapter on sex during pregnancy, sex as you get older, some sexual, uh, medical, physical problems that come up. It is a great resource to just have in your home. Linda Dillow has a great book called Intimate Issues that I use with ladies who have been sexually abused or have things in their past that make this difficult. And I get great feedback on that. That is very helpful, Linda Dillow. Then her and her husband have another book just about sex, not sexual problems, Intimacy Ignited. I think I gave you some sexual questions that I use with couples, never as a starting point. But as I spend time with them, if I'm hearing this is an area, I'll go there after we've resolved some other issues. And this is how I get the conversation started with things that we might need to talk about. Finally, each spouse is to view his body as for his mate's sexual enjoyment. That we're to serve each other in this area. And the goal is not pleasure or personal climax and joy, but to use your body to bring satisfaction to your spouse. To do that, you've got to know what satisfies them. So you're going to have to have some conversations. Lou Priola has a great book, Complete Husband, that has a great section about sexuality for you guys. That has some questions you can give your wife that I have given Vicki. And it was helpful to hear back from her, her answers in this area. The exact statement is made about both husband and wife. To equally be responsible to initiate physical pleasure towards their mate. And what Paul is teaching specifically about sexual relationship is simply an application of many general principles about considering the needs of others more than yourself. Prefer one another, serve one another, love one another, and the sexual relationships are to be regular and reciprocal. When you read 1 Corinthians 7, it is absolutely clear it is to be the exception when you're not sexually active, not the norm. It's actually worded, there may be a time where we're not sexually active for the purpose of prayer and fasting. I haven't run into that yet. Like you're not having sex because you're praying and fasting? No, we're just ticked. Oh, okay. That's not what 1 Corinthians says. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come back together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of control.